When God wants to do something really big, he usually chooses the most talented, the most likable, the richest, the most well-educated people to make the biggest impact. Isn't that true? Look at yourself and just think through that for a moment. Yet in our humanness, we tend to think that way, don't we? We tend to think if we can only get the mayor to come to Jesus, then the whole town would follow. If we could only get part of the Ohio State football team to come to Jesus and give their testimony that the whole town would turn around. If only the president would get saved, then everybody in America would become Christian. That's how we tend to think. If only we could get all Christians on the Supreme Court, then Christianity would reign in America. That's how we tend to think. And the problem with that way of thinking is it is diametrically opposed to the way that God does stuff. And so you have your Bible there. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about unlikely heroes today. Luke chapter 2. And beginning in verse 8, this section of the scripture is perhaps uh, very familiar to you. And uh, that's a good thing. But I want you to hear with new ears today. Let God speak to your heart through his word. That is the reliable source for hearing from the Lord. Now, these shepherds, first of all, just to say a word about shepherds. Um, they have become kind of a cute little icon in Christianity because it's, they're part of the Christmas story. Um, but shepherds were not very sanitary people. They lived out in the field in little lean-tos and shelters that they built. And yes, they did sleep with the sheep. Now that may sound warm, cozy, and cuddly to you. But you only have seen the sanitized pictures of sheep. My dad had some sheep for a while, glad that those things were gone. They're nasty, ugly, they eat stuff they ought not eat, and it shows. And so uh, they're the dumbest animal on the face of the planet. That, that, I mean, that's just not even exaggeration. For body weight, they have the smallest brain of any animal. They're unleadable. They just do dumb. And so these guys are responsible for caring for them. Now there is an industry at that time in Jerusalem for sheep. I mean, you think about uh, the uh, celebrations, the Jewish celebrations that would come to pass. And somebody has to provide the, the lambs and so on. And of course, uh, the, the meat is something that was eaten. And then the wool. So there, this is a, a, an industry. But lots of times shepherds were not the owners they were just the caretakers there was some big boss somewhere that owned it all but didn't want to get his hands dirty so he had these people that did this kind of work so I don't want you to romanticize who these shepherds were their appearance is more like someone who lives under the bridge 
Their reputation wasn't far from that either. So this is what we have. And it's, it's so, we're, we're used to romanticizing everything about Christmas. You know, born in a manger sounds so romantic, doesn't it? Ugh. Nasty, man. Oh, born in a stable. I mean, have you ever actually been in like a stable? It's not nice. So there, this, is just a, a, this is just a dirty world here. And these, these shepherds are prototypes of everything that you don't want your kids to grow up to be. You don't want your kids to be these kind of people. This is not a job that you're shooting for. You know, you're not like, hey, kids, I want you to grow up and be a shepherd. That's not really what you're looking for. And this is not a job of status. We don't even know these guys' names. Not even mentioned. And so we look at this story again with uh, maybe fresh eyes to understand what God is doing. And so how do you, I mean, to, to apply what we're getting ready to hear, how do you become a hero of the faith. How, how do you do that? Well, this is a pattern. First of all, these guys, they received God's message by faith. Now look in verse 8 and following. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So they received the message by faith. Now this is a supernatural revelation about the Savior. And so we find that they say in verse 15 there, uh, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And notice this phrase, which the Lord has made known to us. This is a supernatural revelation about the Savior. This is not something that they deduce from logic. This is not, this understanding is not by means of human ability. What we understand is this, when God wants us to know something about himself, he reveals that to us through his word. That's how we know. And so in this situation, uh, the, the word of the Lord still being revealed to humanity had not been completed yet. And so this is being revealed by an angel. You don't need an angel now because you have the Bible. And so you don't need that anymore. God is not in the business of continuing that. But at this point in salvation history, we didn't have all of the scripture yet. So it's still being revealed to humanity. And so these shepherds, minding their own business, taking care of stupid, stinky sheep, 
out there in the middle of the night, not much to do, and so suddenly angels appear. Now, um, people say sometimes, well, I wish an angel would appear to me. Ask the shepherds, no, you don't. Because they dive on the ground here scared to death. And so this angel appears, and, and ladies and gentlemen, in the scriptures, angels appeal, appear as uh, in, in the figure of a male warrior. They're not the little girls, and you know, that y'all, I mean, touched by an angel, it was cute, but really, they don't have an Irish accent either. So that's just not the way it is in scripture. These are scary things. These figures are frightening. You just didn't really want that, right? So suddenly, all it is just suddenly this happens. Now, what is the point of this? The angel doesn't appear to them to say, Now listen, I have some guidance for you about your life. You really need to, um, first of all, uh, you need to get a job at Kenworth. And secondly, you need to have 3.2 kids. And you need to have a dog named Spot. And there's something, let's think about this for a moment. There is something beyond you in this world. Have you thought about that? This message is not about some kind of little personal guidance that they needed about when to sell their car. This is not that. This is the salvation of sinners from hell that's at stake here. That's what's revealed. That's what's shown to them. So this is a revelation about the Savior. And here's what we know about humanity. And I want you to take this, just, just take this in for a moment. All people everywhere are unwilling and unable to find God on their own. All people everywhere are unwilling and unable to find God on their own. It's called the fall. See, we take the depravity, the twisted and ruined nature of humans seriously here. People don't just need a little coaching. It's like they take Jesus like he's some kind of personal spiritual coach. You know, they just need to make a little better decisions, you know. And so they do that and, and they'll be Christian just because they need to make a little, some better decisions in life, you know. And so we need, we need to do that. And that's what makes us Christians. That's not really it. The Bible is very, very clear about this. The Bible says no one seeks after God, Romans 3.11. No one. Why? Because we're darkened by sin, the power of sin. Not just things that we've done, but the force and power of sin. It blinds us, the Bible says. It causes our hearts to be resistant to God, the Bible says. It causes us to even hate God because we don't want his interference in our lives. You say, well, I, I, people don't hate God. I know a lot of people, okay, let me, let's do it. Take the person that you think really is okay with God and sit down and go over the Ten Commandments with them for a moment. And watch them go, I'm not that way. I don't do that. Well, at least I don't do this. What are they saying? I hate God's judgment upon my life. That's what they're really saying. It's that time of year when you try to talk with people about the Lord, you know, because it's Christmas time. And here's what they usually say. Well, at least I don't judge. I don't judge people. Now, that's supposed to be the defining mark of someone that's a good person. 
Now, let me, this is just, I'm going to give you this. This is worth a million dollars, but I'm not going to charge you anything for this today. Here's my response to them. Well, I judge. I judge people all the time, daily, all the time. I love judging people and watch them go, you shouldn't do that. Oh, really? You, you don't get, y'all don't get it yet? They're judging me. They can't even live up to their own standard. People, we can't even, just make any rule for yourself and you'll break it before the day's over. So that, that's just the way that humans are. And so if these shepherds do not get revelation about the Savior, if they don't get God's word about the Savior, they're not going to leave the fields and go to Bethlehem and look for him. They're just not going to. And neither are your relatives. Here's the thing. Here is the, the, the greatest statement of grace that I can think of. It is God who seeks out sinners. And we have that illustrated here. It is God who comes to these guys. They're, they're not in a worship service or anything else. They're just guys out taking care of sheep. Probably talking about you know, which guns are on sale and stuff like that. Just doing their thing. It's not the other way around. People don't seek God. As a matter of fact, they resist God. We all do. But when God chooses to seek us out, the story is completely changed. So this is revelation from heaven. This is God's word coming to these guys. Now look at their personal response to the Savior. The, the Bible says that they said in verse 15, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go. And now that's the Bible way of saying, Guys, get up. Let's run. Let's, let's see what this is. Now, this is not just them deciding to be a person of faith. I don't use that phraseology, I'm a man of faith. A lot of people say that. that. That's just kind of like very nebulous. Not only that, it doesn't have any definition to it. It means nothing. So, it, you know, I'm a man of faith. What does that mean? Everybody's a person of faith. You know how I know you're a person of faith? You go to the pharmacy and get drugs to take. You're a person of faith. What are they really doing? You don't know that. You know, you know what a person of faith is? You actually go through a green light trusting the person on your left at the red is going to actually stop. They don't always do that in this town. I don't know if you noticed that. I was behind a guy the other day, pulled up the red light. He looked both ways and took off. I'm like, what? I stopped. I, I didn't. I wanted to. I wanted like, hey, that seemed to work for him. But I knew what would happen. And so I pastored church one time. And this one lady had a police scanner. And I couldn't get away with anything. So I imagine some of y'all do too. So some of y'all, anyway, you have nothing else to do in life. So we're not talking about these guys being people of faith. We're talking about a personal response to a personal savior. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical faith. And that is, it's real faith in an infallible Savior. It's a personal surrender to who He is and what He has done. Have you come to the place in your life that you're ready to stop trusting in yourself 
Have you come to a place in your life you, you're ready to stop trusting pop religion? Are you ready to stop trusting the superstitious, quote, Christianity that comes out of the hills of Kentucky? Well, Grandma thought it was good enough. We don't care what Grandma says. She's not a prophet. Man, you better get figured out what does the Bible really say? Whatever method that you're using, are you ready to stop that? See, that's what has to happen. Stop. Just stop. Whatever method you think you've got to make things right with God, just stop because it's wrong. It's just not right. It's not the way. And so instead of that, what you have to do is this. You have to embrace this awful and ugly fact. You are a rebellious sinner and you have been resisting God all of your life. To various degrees and various ways. Some of you are polite resistors. You're kind of like, well, you know, I like God okay, but, you know, I just really don't want to get into religion. I, you know, you're, you're kind of the polite resistor, but I want to let you know you're just as sinful as the person that curses and swears and says, I don't want anything to do with that. It's the same thing. It's just different wording. It's a heart that says, I don't want that. I don't want God. Not on his terms, I don't. I want him to show up when I want him to, but I don't want him on his terms. That's not the way you deal with the king of the universe. He is for absolute surrender, absolute conquest, and nothing less. He takes it all. Well, I don't know if I can be a better person. You know, he's not going to make you a better person. He's going to absolutely take over your life. If you're not willing to do that, then just keep running. I mean, he will get you eventually, but just keep running. But you just have to stop that. And you have to say, I, I, need a, I need a savior. The penalty for my sins. I'm looking at the, what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Whoever doesn't repent is going to perish. It's appointed to people once to die. And after that, the judgment. In hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And I read these things and I say to myself, I can't save myself from that. I need a savior. Do you see what you're looking at here? Self, what are you? Next, savior is what you need. How and where do you get the savior? His name is Jesus. He's the one who's God, came to earth as a man, grew up lived a sin, sinless life, died on the cross at the hands of sinners by God's appointment in the place of sinners that would put their faith that he was your substitute on the cross. God punished him in your place. And he rose from the dead to prove that it was exactly as God had said. So it's a personal response to the Savior is what we're getting at here. To receive God's message by faith doesn't just mean you agree with it. It means you surrender to it. They received God's message by faith and they said, let us go. Now, secondly, they reported God's message to others. Look what happens as a result of their encounter. They found Mary and Joseph, comma, and the babe lying in a manger. Those of you that are in school right now, commas are important where you place them. If you take the comma out, you've got Mary, Joseph, and the baby, all three lying in a manger. So kids, you guys are in English class. Please study your grammar correctly so you can understand the Bible better. 
and amen. Yes, that's my electrician. There we go. Now, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, they reported God's message to others. They, they reported this, and I'm using the word extensively in verse 17. They made known, and, and I think the, the King James Bible has it correctly. They made known abroad, it says. They, they did it everywhere. Everywhere they went, they told people, this is what happened. We're minding our own business. God comes to us with an angel, tells us there's a Savior. He's Christ, who is the Lord, that is, who is God. We go. We find it just exactly as the angels said. This baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And so now we're letting you know the Savior has come. And so they went everywhere. The Bible says whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And they sowed the seed of the gospel everywhere they went. Now it says here in the scripture that they went and told people and Mary treasured up all these things. I, I don't know Mary treasured up what the shepherds said. But she sure treasured up this whole experience and thought upon it. But they also reported specifically the shepherds did this message. It says that they made known in verse 17 the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You don't have to be rude with the gospel, but you do have to be specific. You do have to be clear. You do have to say it as it is. And let me help some of our younger folk here. And Sadly, the word gospel is so misused. It's used as a hyphen. It's hyphenated all the time. Gospel this and gospel that as if it's an adjective describing some other noun. Gospel centered this and gospel that. and It's like we use the word gospel and attach it to anything that we want to legitimize as a Christian. But I want to say to you first, foremost, and forever, the gospel is a noun. The gospel is a message about Jesus, the Savior. And to fail to share, declare, and exclaim the message about Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, and the only way to the Father is to fail to gospelize anything. We have failed miserably in these days just to tell people the gospel and Wednesday nights we were talking about confidence you know confidence in the gospel have we lost confidence in the gospel do we think the problems of the world are so complicated that the gospel just doesn't have any power anymore is that where we are and part of what we're doing on Wednesday night is to help us to see this that we've always had this mess in the world We've always had time. It's just in America, we've just had a wonderful period of time in the history of this nation in which the gospel was on friendly terms with our culture. And how grateful we are for that. Listen, listen to me. I would much, much rather have a neighbor who is a lost man, but whose grandma taught him the Bible 
as my neighbor than someone who doesn't know anything about the scripture and is mean. There's nothing wrong with having a a Bible-type culture around you. There's nothing wrong when you have lost people around you that share some of the values of the Bible. It makes for a very nice school system, a very nice culture, very nice sports. It's very nice in a lot of ways. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but you have to understand, it doesn't mean that the gospel's penetrated their lives. And more and more as generations are passing, what we're finding is people are actually becoming hostile to the gospel. And we have complicated issues now, things that we don't even understand. How how can you switch genders back and forth on a daily basis? I don't know how that works. And so all kinds of stuff going on. And we think that we have to have an answer and be able to understand all those things. You don't have to. But here's what you do have to know. The gospel is as powerful as it's ever been. It's still, you, you, you think sometimes about people, oh, they're not going to believe this. Not at first, they're not going to. I didn't either. I don't think you did either. I mean, maybe some of you here, first time you ever heard the gospel, you said yes. But most of us, it was a slow chipping away. And so don't, don't be discouraged by that. But you do have to report it specifically. And I feel like we've substituted other things for just the plain telling of the gospel. As church, we, we, we you know, service. We're just going to serve the community. In and of itself, it's not a bad thing, but it's not a substitute for telling people the gospel. We have to tell. It's a specific message, and it calls for a specific response. You must repent and put your full confidence in Jesus as your king and as your savior. That's the response that's required, a specific response. And so these shepherds went and reported God's message. Have you noticed this? What you're really following here is an outline of the Christian life. At first, you receive God's message by faith. Then secondly, what happens? You begin to report God's message to others. Then in verse 20, what you see is something else about these shepherds who are unlikely heroes in the biblical narrative here they then reflect God's miracles in life look in verse 20 and the shepherds returned they they go back to work guys Monday always comes around doesn't it so the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them they reflected God's miracles in life What did they do? They worshiped at work. They returned. Returned where? Back to the fields. The sheep still stunk. The the, the air was still cold. There was no, the the Taco Bell drive-thru was closed by now. I mean, everything is just still as hard as it ever was. So they go back to work. But what's different is not the job place. What's different is the people in the job place, these guys, they go back glorifying and praising God. They worshiped at work. They didn't grumble. They didn't complain. Let me, let me say this to you. Life at the mill is not ever going to get any better. Life at DuPont's never going to get better. It is what it is. 
Life at Kenworth ain't ever going to get better. Life at Adena Hospital is never going to get better. Life at Unioda School is never going to get better. It's not going to get any better. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to get harder as you go. Do you know what can change? You. Glorifying and praising God. That's what you can do. That's your assignment. You say, well, pastor, does that, what does that mean? Do I have to really sing really loud? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, the Bible says. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus, the Bible says. There's a way to glorify and praise God without saying a word. And it is in your attitude, which people can feel, by the way. And, and I just want to say this to you. It takes me about two cups of coffee to get right with Jesus. Then I'm good to go. Okay, so it really does. But after that, we're good to go. So, you, but you, you know, added, people can feel attitude. And they also can watch your work ethic. That's glorifying and praising God without saying anything. Helping your coworkers. That's glorifying and praising God without saying anything. There's a way to do this. Grumbling and complaining and so on and so forth never does. They, they witnessed at work. For, for, for what? For all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What did they talk about? The word of God. Now, here's what you don't want to do. As a Christian... You don't want to become the kind of person that's a holy roller, you know? You know those people? Where, I mean, as a Christian, I see them coming and wince. Because I know what's coming. This long, blathering, you know, spiritual lingo that, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't even know what you're exactly saying. I mean, I've heard the Holy Ghost six times. I've heard, but I don't even know what you're talking about right now. And um, so it, it's, you're not expected just to be this, you know, walking Sunday school lesson that everybody says something, you've got a Bible verse to answer it. Don't you hate those people? You know, everything somebody says, well, you know, it's cloudy today. But the, but the Bible says, you know, shut up, okay? I mean, I'm with the lost people on that one. Man, you need to shut up. You're driving us nuts around here. But what this does mean, in season and out of season, it means be prepared to answer people why you have the attitude that you have at the workplace. That's your open door. Why, why, do you, why do you always show up here and you're good to go? Why is it you always put in a full day's work? Why is it that, let me tell you about that. Christ has changed my life. Like you, I used to be a cheater. I'd cheat the company the whole time. Like you, I was a grumbler, complainer. That's just part of my nature but Christ came into my life and changed everything let me tell you how that can be true for you God will give you an opportunity for that message the shepherds didn't go around with their little staff cracking people in the head and going listen to this message it's not that way and you don't have to be that way either be prepared to speak but you want to be don't cast your pearl before swine let them just trample it in the mud because you're not wise enough to discern is this person at the place that they can receive this message. But as, as a Christian, you want to reflect this miracle 
of Jesus, the Savior, that has come into your life. He's come into your life, and now you reflect it to other people. This Really, what you're finding out here is, is this from this message. This is Christian life. This is the Christian life. You receive the message by faith. You report it to others as God gives you opportunity. And you reflect the miracle of the new birth in your life wherever you are. That's how you become a hero of the faith. It's not by all the great feats that you hear about. and people. So those people certainly are heroes. But most of you, like Sunday school this morning, you're probably not going to part the Red Sea. I know that's a downer, but probably not going to happen. You know, you... Well, some of you might get swallowed by a whale. Could happen. But it's probably not. You know, these things you read about, those big miracles, that's probably not going to be you. It's probably not. But it wasn't the shepherds either. And yet, there's a long section of the scripture that reports on their life. How to have an impact. Let me see if I can tell this correctly and clearly so that you'll understand. A lot of times as Christians, we look at um, how many people come to Jesus around you, whether you're a pastor, you're in your ministry, you know, how many did you baptize? And, um, you know, now I, 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 I baptize by proxy. I put that on Pastor Joe now because I got tired of getting wet and then running back back then. And I said, Pastor Joe, can you baptize? You? I don't know. I haven't done it much. Well, you're going to learn. And so he's done a great job. So Pastor Joe dunks them and, and all of that. So. Um, a couple of them, I said, Pastor, pick them up and just turn in the water. They need a good dose of Jesus. But, but um, you know, how do you, you know, you're sometimes judged as pastor like, how many people did you baptize? And now I can say zero. But um, as a Christian, you know, sometimes you're around people that are, that are pretty good evangelists. And they're like, how many people you led to Christ? And so you're kind of judged. The vibrancy of your, your faith in, in Christ is judged by how many people come to Jesus around you. I'm sure some of you have heard that and, and been around that. And, and it is. We should be telling people about Christ. That's for sure. But how do you measure these things? So think about this, for example. We're talking about making an impact in the kingdom. Suppose there's a person that could lead 1,000 people to Jesus every day. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? So if, if there was somebody that, that that was actually happening in their life, you know what would happen, don't you? They would be on the speaking circuit going to every church. Here's how I led a thousand people to Jesus yesterday. And I'll come to your town and lead a thousand people to Christ as well. And maybe they will. I mean, maybe they're the next Billy Graham. Who knows? I'm, I'm not downing it. Maybe, maybe it's true. On the other hand, what if there's a person that just leads one person to Christ for the year? So here's somebody that's, quote, leading a thousand people to Jesus every day. Here's a person who just led just one person to Jesus for the year. Which one's the hero? Well, the one, I mean, at the end of the year, 365,000 people compared to one. Obviously, we know the answer to that. It's pretty easy. Numbers don't lie. So my doctor says. At the end of two years, the person leading 1,000 people to Christ a day will have seen 730,000 followers of Christ. 
the other person, here's what this person's doing. They have given an opportunity to share the gospel with this person. This person comes to Jesus, comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They put their life into discipling this person to raise them up as a strong believer in Christ. They send them out and say, do what I did. So that person they send out, they are able to lead one person to Christ in that second year. And now the original person is able to, by God's grace, lead one more person to Christ in the second year. So at the end of two years, this person that had just led one to Christ, now they account really for four people. So person number one, person A, 730,000 people. They're obviously making a big impact to the kingdom. The other person really responsible for four after year two. Which one's the hero? But what if you kept doing that for 25 years? The same pattern kept going for 25 years. Well, at the end of 25 years, the person who has led 1,000 people to Christ per day for 25 years... They would be responsible, secondarily, of course, it's God who saves, we know that, but they would be responsible for 9,125,000 people that came to Jesus. Certainly, bam, what a splash. The other person, if they win one, disciple them, teach them to win one, and that person disciples theirs, teaches them to win one, gets another one, disciples, this one gets another one, disciples them. At the end of 25 years doing it that way, 33,545,000 people, 432. Three times as many people came to Christ through the one who won one, discipled them up to win one. See, the original person really only discipled 25 people. Do you understand that? But it's through that ministry and doing it right that the end result is three times as many as the person who was winning 1,000 people a day. Here is my, my point. Even in the realm of that which is ultimately eternally purposeful and, and important, we tend to look at the superstar as the one who's really getting the job done. But a lot of times it's the unlikely ones, the ones that no one knows about. We had a lady in our, our congregation here, and she, I, I, I won't call her name, some of you already know the story, but you know, she hadn't really been a believer or a strong believer very long at all. And I think, you know, we're talking to Sunday school, like, hey, you know, be praying God give you a chance to share the gospel. So she contacts my wife and says, I, I I have to speak at a funeral. Julie and I, well, great. And she's like, no, <laughs> not great. And so, like, well, what do you want to do? She said, I'm just going to share the gospel. See, nobody knows those stories. We have a tendency, and she did. And she shared the gospel with these people at you know, this funeral. So you don't ever know who's the hero. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. The hero of the faith is usually... The person you don't think it is. And the people that are out front, like, like me, sometimes you have a tendency to think, man, yeah, that's the guy. I'm not really the guy. 
I'm just the guy that helps the guys. Those guys are the ones that are the heroes. The ones you don't know what's going on. The ones that you just don't hear a lot about. I was thinking, uh, Dan and I were talking about a Christmas uh, event last week. Was that last week? It seems like last year now. But we were talking about that and just what some of our people did as far as inviting people and trying to share the faith with them and talk to them about Jesus. It's just incredible. It's overwhelming. It's just, it just blows you away. People that you're not expecting that to happen. And, and here, here's the thing. I, I, I'm trying to coach some of you up that think, the little that you're doing for the kingdom really doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. Don't measure yourself by the thousand person a day. You measure yourself by the obedience that you have to have according to the field that God has given you. Do that. And you never know. Who, who was it that led Billy Graham to Christ? I mean, I know the guy's name, but you, you probably don't. It doesn't matter. You see, it, it, one guy being faithful to what he knew that he should do. That's what, what, we, what you need to do. It's not the work of the great evangelists like Billy Graham. It's not that their work is null and void. I'm not using him in a derogatory way at all. But don't idolize people like that. Because God is much more likely to use unlikely heroes to accomplish the greatest things, even greater things than those who have all the talent and all the tools. Why? Because he gets the greatest glory through those who are the most incapable. And that could be you. It's all by his power. That's what God expects of us. Reliance upon him, his power. Now let me say this to you also. Some of you are here today and I thank God that you're in this building but you you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus you're, you're maybe learning about Jesus which is a great thing or you know some things about Jesus which is a great thing you've heard about Jesus which is also a great thing but you are still keeping yourself at a distance from God for some unknown reason I, I don't know what it is but I, I want to just warn you about something. Neglect, procrastination, and delay also send people to hell. It's not just the ones that say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. You can't make me and I'm never going to come to that church. We have a tendency to think, oh, okay, those people for sure, they, they don't know Christ are going to hell. But there are other people that they... They grace the doors of the church. They come, they sit, and they politely listen. They shake their head and agree. And they leave here uncommitted to Christ, unsurrendered to him. And sometimes people say, well, I, I, I didn't know. Well, ignorance is not the same as innocence before God. Sometimes people want to think, well, I, I don't know enough. Ignorance is not innocence before God. Let me put it to you this way. Um, have you ever driven through an area of our town and you just never really paid attention to the speed limit and you got pulled over? And what is the first thing the officer says to you? 
Did you know that it's 25 through here? Now, do you know what that officer is saying? He's saying to you, I really don't care if you knew or not. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that you should have known. You should have known, but you failed to pay attention. And you failed to do anything about finding out what the speed limit is. So you still get the ticket. Some of us think, well, maybe if I don't know about Jesus, I'm going to get off. He won't hold me accountable. I want to just remind you again. You are accountable for knowing. And you are accountable for doing something with what you already know. What do you have to really know to have eternal life? I've already said it. Number one, that you're a sinner and in rebellion against God. Two, you need a savior. You can't save yourself from the penalty that God has placed upon your sin. Three, there's a savior available. His name is Jesus. He has borne the penalty for the sins of sinners that will come to him. Third, he'd done that. And number four, he rose from the grave to prove that he has taken care of that problem. Death is the evidence of the penalty of sin. Resurrection is the evidence that he's overcome the penalty for your sin. And you just put your faith, you just put all your confidence in that rather than yourself, rather than anything else, rather than in knowledge, rather than, you put all your confidence upon Christ, upon a person. He is the one who will save, and I'm going to trust him. And when you do that, his spirit comes into your life and then you begin to want to live the way he wants you to live. That's what salvation looks like. So today, here's what we do. At at the end of every worship service, I I just come down here and I I stand for a few minutes. We sing a couple verses of song or three. And here's here's what we're saying to you. When I I do that, here's what we're saying. Do you want to start following Jesus? Do you want eternal life? Then you got to let me know. I can't save you, but I do know how to point you to the one who can. can and, and I can get you someone that can answer questions for you, help you to understand, and help you to make a faith commitment to Jesus and have eternal life. And so we give you that few moments. You see, you, you might leave here today and you might be driving down the road and you may say to yourself, you know, I think I need to do that. And you thought too late. All kinds of things happen in life, don't they? And you just thought too late. I mean, things happen. People die. Your heart gets hardened. You get busy again. You forget about it. Even small things. You get too busy to think about it for a while. And by the time you think about it again later, your heart's kind of grown cold about it. And you just really don't want to now. This is why God urges you. You have an interest in Christ. Then now's the time. You don't just keep putting God off and acting like, well, I'll get to it when I want to. That's not how you treat God. And so I just want to encourage you and say to you, I'm nothing but a shepherd. I'm just a guy that takes care of dumb sheep. That's all I do. I'm nothing special. I just take the message that's been revealed to us and say, here's what we've seen and here's what we've heard. Come see the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so, so grateful that you've given to us the Bible. And thank you, Father, for these historical accounts. You 
tell us about how just regular, ordinary, everyday, hardworking people, people that are hourly wage kind of folk that you come to with the saving message of eternal life. Lord, I, I pray that for those here today that think they're too plain or too normal or too regular, or just everyday folk, and they think, well, maybe it's not for me, that you'd help, help them to see, Lord, it is for them. As a matter of fact, they're the ones that you target most often. And Lord, I, I just ask that they would be very real to them. The Holy Spirit of God would put that on their heart and draw them to Christ today. Lord, I pray also for your people. Already made profession of faith in Christ are here today. And Lord, that they would also, that each one of us would take the example of the shepherds and say, yes, that's our life too. Lord, um, we praise you and thank you that you are at work. You still continue to work in our world and in the hearts of, of people. And so we ask for that work to be done today in a dynamic way. So that we cannot mistake, again, the warming of our heart by the Spirit to be alert to the word and respond to it, we pray in Jesus' name.